Hello, and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise, the podcast where we speak to amazing, scintillating, adventurous, and amazing entertainers and inspiration people from the world of entertainment. Now today's guest is an absolute wonder. She is a marvellous and fantastic lady. We are speaking to... The owner, runner of Denver's biggest comedy club. It is the brilliant, the sizzling, the fantastic Wendy Curtis. Hey, 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 how are we ready? I, I am going to add a lot of noise things like soundboards later on the podcast because that. People always say when you do the intro, we need the clap, we need the round of applause. <laughs> yeah, you guys absolutely do. I don't usually get that, so <laughs> you get you 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 get all the fun of being like, right, these people had a great time, and I'm the person that made it. I'm the person that made their night happy. They had a bad day at work. They were crying. They were sad. They got dumped by their boyfriend, but my comedy club made them happy. That's very true. That's very true. Has has there been a moment where you completely changed someone's life just through one comedy show? Well, I'm not sure about like one, like, I don't know what the, the biggest one might be, but I tell you, I can't tell you how many times I hear. Literally, I know I've, it's happened more than a dozen times that people have said, I had my first date with my now husband or my now wife there. Um, you know, because comedy shows are such a great first date because, you know, sense of humor, and sense of how people think about different things is such a, an important, you know, it's such an important icebreaker and it's such an important way of relating. And I and I I love to hear that. Um, and I hear from people, too, a lot like, oh, my God, I haven't been there in a couple of years or I haven't been there since COVID or I haven't been there in so long. Um, and I think that those people also realize, you know, how important they're like having this, like, oh my gosh, how important comedy is, you know, to, um, our existence these days. We got to laugh, man. If you don't laugh, if I didn't laugh, I would, I would just dig my own ditch right now and just cover myself up. <laughs> so, I mean, you've, you've got so many experiences with comedy and like, one of the things I think that often happens in the UK and in America is some people do jokes and material, but it'll be like a TED talk rather than actually making people laugh. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I guess mine. I, I don't. I guess it depends on what approach you're trying to take and your what your agenda is. But I think that so many of my stories are are just great experiences and illustrating these great people that people wouldn't know that side of these famous comics case in point um sebastian maliscalco do you know who he is no not quite sorry but that's okay he sells out you know very large venues now in the u.s and uh and this is the second time that he was I, I had not even met him the first time. I'd popped in the back door and watched his set and had to get to the other club and left. And the second time he came in, the love of my life, my little French bulldog, 
was dying of cancer. And I popped in to see him in the green room that night. And that man had bought a little, um, a little uh, kit that you put their little paw, you know, prints in. And he said, I heard that, you know, the Lucy was sick and I, and I, um, and I got you this, blah, blah, blah. This, I mean, it was the tiniest little thing that just, obviously it continues to melt my heart. Um, You know, somebody that I'd never even met before. Um, And uh, there's so many stories like those great people. People always go, well, who's like, who's been the, you know, the worst. And boy, those just don't even like, that doesn't even come to mind. And I'd have to just, I'd have to think so hard um, because that just doesn't exist. There's so little of like, you know, bad experiences that I've had with people. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, they with say, comics, I should say that's with comics. That's not with agents. That's not, with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but how did, you're, so you started off as a waitress in a comedy club, is that right? Right. I was in college and um, I and I got a job when Comedy Works, Comedy Works had been in Denver for five years and then they came up to Fort Collins where I was in school at Colorado State University and I got a, I got a job as a waitress when they opened <clears throat> and that's where it started. What was it like, like serving uh, comedy audiences and then like dealing with comics like what 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 sort of transfixed you to be like right I'm going to be behind the scenes as well like what what put you well I loved again I was studying I was studying acting directing classical voice with a little bit of business and I so it was the business of show business you know that attracted me to begin with and I just loved involved at any level because I was just absorbing everything. I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to be an actress on stage. And again, this was the closest thing I could do. You know, I could wait tables at a, um, at any place, but here I could wait tables at this place where there was, um, actually a performance where there was actually, um, an art form. Uh, and so that's what drew me there. And then I just fell in love. I truly fell in love with it. And, um, it's fast paced, you know, which I love. I'm very ADHD. So I need things to move, you know, and I need, I need a lot of different things going on. And that's what, <clears throat> that's what this business is for me. Um, lots of different moving parts at all times. So it keeps my brain, you know, it keeps my brain very, and it keeps me interested and engaged. You know what I mean? I have no choice these days, but to be engaged. Oh, it's what, what is it would you say about comedy that makes it so engaging like one of the things a comic on the podcast that i had before and he's absolutely amazing like mr c and he says that with comedy one of the things that some performers do that make them leave comedy is he treats it like a job and what he does is he treats comedy like it's his lifelong partner like he always keeps it fresh he keeps it entertaining where what's it called Comedy will, yeah, he, he always keeps entertaining. And that way you will always be in love with it. Yeah, that's very interesting. I love perspective. Um, because obviously I'm on the business end of things, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that that all these different people that 
that come in every week. You know, I have two new headliners that come at least that come every week and, um, and they bring all these different perspectives. You know, they, they bring out different kinds of crowds, you know, their crowds um, may be um, politically uh, neutral, shall we say, they could be politically conservative or liberal or, and then they could be, maybe it's um, uh, just a general age range. There's all these different there's all these different perspectives that come with all of these different people, just like when you and I are all in an audience, right? And we're all different. Um, and I, it's fresh. To me, it stays fresh because I peek in on those things and I, I can, I can uh, expand my horizons a little bit and, and change my grumpy perspective. <laughs> If, uh, if it's been a week, like we talked about off, um, offline a bit ago. And, um, and that's what I love about it is that it's changing all the time and that there's new people all the time and it never gets stagnant, you know? Hmm. What, what would you say separates stand up in that way and to oppose like acting or singing or music? Well, I mean, I think all of those things, all of the art form, the performing arts have, you know, they touch us in different ways, but the very nature of comedy and making fun of things, right? Making light of things, um, bringing some social commentary to things. And the wordsmiths that you comedian types are, in my opinion, um, are some of the most um, creative because you're constantly having to, um, you know, keep your stuff fresh and keep it, um, and keep it relevant, you know. And that's not to say that, of course, that a composer, that um, or a songwriter isn't keeping their stuff relevant. It's very relevant in the in the moment, and as we know, many live that are timeless forever, but. You're in a, when you're in a live audience, it needs to be relevant now. You know, when you listen to some things, some comics from 10 years ago, some of it's relevant and some of it's just, it, it, it stood the test of time. Some of it is not, right? And I think that we could say the same thing with, um, with all different kinds of performing arts. But I feel like um, comedians have to be relevant now and in the moment for the most part. And what have you, what have you found in terms of like the, the mindset of comics? So like when you first got to chat with comics, um, what was your opinion of them when you first got to meet and get to know comics to now like working with them, employing them? Well, I, I loved them. They were all very fun in my, in my, um, I've been in the business 36 years starting next week, I think. And I, you know, I was very young, very young. I was, and they were young. And, and I worked with comics that weren't super famous for the most part at the time. And they were just good people, you know, and they were having fun and they were on the road. And um, now I've kind of worked my way into a place where almost most of the comedians that, you know, that work for me make a lot, a lot of money. 
um, for me and everywhere else. And they have a big name to them and they're still just great people. You know, they've got kids, they've got spouses or they don't, and they're single or, um, and they love coming, you know, that's one of the brilliant things that I did accidentally. <laughs> I mean, I always wanted to be the best, you know, but I did create these entities and I'm on everybody's bucket list. This is where every comic wants to play. Um, and so I'm very lucky that way. Now, now, lucky, what is lucky? It's where hard work and opportunity kind of collide, right? And I feel like, I know I've worked my tail end off, but I also have um, been ready when opportunity has, you know, has revealed itself. And I feel as if that luck that I've, that I've got continues to snowball in a very big way. You know, when agents want to hold me hostage for something, I kind of have it. I kind of know that I've got the leverage of you can't have 120% of everything I make. I'm not going to give you that. Your comic wants to work for me and we can work this out where we both can win. Right. Um, so I don't know. I can go on too much about that, but I feel as if I, um, I feel as if I've, I've, I work with great people now at a much larger level and they're still great people. I was watching George Lopez last night. He's got a new show on NBC. Ah. And, um, and George Lopez is a very good friend. I've known him for a very long time. And um, it's fun to watch that. You know, it's fun to watch their new Netflix special or their new, you know, NBC um, series. Um, because you know how hard they worked. You know, you saw them 30 years ago. And I mean, I've known that man for probably that long, 30 years. And um, it's fun to watch that. It's definitely fun to watch. You raised it like, like you raised a child and then they, they become an adult. A little, and certainly I wasn't the, the, the sole parent or one. Of <laughs> I was certainly, um, you know, watched it on the way up, you know, like these things that just hit my mind. I was thinking when I was driving, getting ready for this this morning, I was thinking um, about Joe Rogan and the night it was a Saturday night and he walked in and I was sitting at the bottom of the stairs where I had just heard that Richard Jenny was dead and he came in and he goes, Richard Jenny is dead. I mean, you have these little blips of things that mark things in time. And, and certainly that's a, a very sobering, um, piece of uh, information to share, but there's lots of wonderful pieces like that too, that you mark things in time based on, you know, um, where you were. And oftentimes it's at the club, sitting at the bottom of the stairs, talking to a comic or whatever, you know? Hmm. So this is a, one thing that I want to mention there is, so I've, I've run a few gigs here and there. I've worked with quite a few venues here and there. And I think I've worked with not anywhere near a number of you, but I've worked with around sort of nearly 15, 20 different venues. And out of all of them, I'd say there's only two 
that were, that really sort of blew me away or I thought like were absolutely fantastic. And that these two venues, one of the things that I like about them is that one, it's a lot easier to advertise because they bring people in as well. Two, they actually make a lot of effort to go and talk to the audience, the comedians and make it a very good experience. And when you're the promoter only doing it, it makes you very tense. But when the venue do it as well, God, it makes it so much easier. And it's, it's I've only had two places that I'd say that have done that where comedians and audience have been very happy to come back again and again. That's interesting. I, I feel like, like, you know, we need to know what business we're in. Again, you and I spoke a bit about that offline is that you must, in my opinion, you must know who your audience is. I don't care if you're selling widgets, Christmas trees, you know, paper plates, who is my audience and what did they want? And I very much as a young, young manager, when I got into this business or, or even when I was, you know, still in college and waiting tables and cleaning the flop house condo that we kept comedians in, you know, I listened to them. I, I just, you know, overheard their conversations and, and I listened to them. And when they talked about those horrible flop house condos that clubs put them in, that I needed to, that I needed to do that with that um, and I'm going to clean it and I'm going to make sure that everything to the best of my ability is, is great. And so now, um, I have two venues on, you know, in different parts of town and in a short block away, I own million dollar condos that I put them in and yes, and I trick them out and I, you know, one of the one in downtown Denver is, um, 2,200 square feet. If you can imagine, it's a big loft. It's, got two bedroom suites. It's got a 600 square foot private patio in a downtown urban space, which is so crazy to think about. And, and it's just silly and fun, you know, and, and the same thing with our South condo in the suburbs. And, you know, I grew up in the era that um, wealth was built with real estate and the stock market. I read those books. And so as soon as I could buy property, I started buying property. And, and certainly I was going to buy property that was going to um, be valuable to my business and my brand. And everybody talks about those condos. Everybody talks about them. The agents will say, yeah, you know, normally... They'll be at the Four Seasons, but he'll stay in your condo. And I make sure that they are clean. The sheets are pressed. And just like a hotel, there's plenty of bottled water when they get there. There's a full kitchen if they want to cook and whatnot. But, and that it's convenient. You know, it's very convenient to them, very close to the club. And there's also 24-hour desk um, service in both of those. That's important because they lose their socks and need to go to Seven Eleven and different things like that as well. So, um, um, that's important to me, you know, um, do, do you guys know the expression in the UK or do you use that expression that, um, I'm not going to say that word, but that let's call it poo, that poo rolls downhill. How do you use that? I mean, there's a, no, no. well, it's a, 
the it's, it's an expression about you know if I if I at the top am gonna be um, a jerk, um, it's almost it's giving permission to my employees or my family or my friends to also be a jerk. Let's just say that, right? Uh-huh. I've got that in the beginning of my career. Again, going back to them talking about that con those condos and the flop house condos that they stayed at, and so I very much decided that oh well. It can be poo or it can be really good smelling stuff, right? It doesn't have to be stinky. It doesn't have to be a bad experience. It can very much be a great experience. And the more, um, the more I advanced in the organization at the time, even before I bought it, I very much um, decided to give my people... You have my permission to treat our our comics, our customers with respect and kindness. And if our comics need anything, you do anything you can within the best of your ability. And if you don't and if you can't do it in the moment and you need help, you call me and we'll figure it out. Right. And and that's paid off. And it, you know what? It's not been hard either. It's just not hard. So what do you think is the reason for is that separates that is the reason for perhaps a lot of other comedy clubs maybe not going to the lengths that you do to put on a good experience so not for only for the audience but for the comics well i think that it's been i think that this is just a generalization but i think women are more detail oriented than men and I think when I got into this business, there were a lot of men in this business and they were more interested in banging the waitress and <laughs> Norton cocaine. <laughs> no interest in banging women or um, snorting cocaine or drinking all night or anything of the sort. I just wanted to be, I just wanted to do this and I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to be good. And I wanted, I wanted people to talk about us, you know? And I had no idea, honestly, I uh, no idea. I had no idea that it would pay off to this, that it would pay off to this length. For instance, like now it's kind of crazy. I'm famous to customers. I am. That's crazy to me. You know, you will see me in my clubs. Ali Wong was just in my clubs for one of my clubs for six nights and 12 shows and Dave Chappelle. And when these gargantuous theater acts come in, you will see me in that lobby. (laughs) I am there teaching my new managers. This is how we catch scalpers. This is what we do. This is what we do. But I am fascinated about how many people know who I am. They will ask for, they will say, are you the owner or are you Wendy? Because why? They've heard about me on podcasts. Because comics talk about me on podcasts. And they listen to podcasts. So now, and certainly I'm not famous like they are famous, but it's easily, when I'm in the lobby once a weekend or once a night, somebody will want to take a picture of me. Four or five people will go, are you Wendy? Thank you so much for what you do. The comics love you. And we are so lucky that you are here in Denver. And 
so I, again, I had no idea when I was just doing my own selfish agenda. I want to be the best. I'm going to be the best. I want to be the best that, that it would pay off to this extent, that it would pay off like this. It's if what were you, what were your thoughts when you were running? We would just think, what what did you originally envisage it being? Again, I just wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. I wanted to learn the business, and I just wanted to do it to the best of my ability and be the best. Well, and that just didn't seem hard to listen to the comics and what were they complaining about in other places? What did they like? What did they want? What didn't they like? And um integrate that into the business plan. It's just not hard. It just wasn't hard at all. Okay. And what, how do you feel? So with comedy works being talked about and like with you being coming famous as well, how do you feel that you've changed the Denver comedy scene from like what it was like before to what it is well, now? But it's been, you know, it's been a 36 year process. Um, and I, uh, this was a great downtown Denver was a great venue. Um, when I got into this business and then another, uh, 15 years later when I bought this business and, um, I built that, then I started building the second club and as much as I always ran it when I was managing it, like it was mine. I did. I just ran it like it was mine. And I don't mean that I, you know, flagrantly spent money. I don't mean anything of that sort. I just meant that I built it and ran it with pride, you know, and, and I, um, when I bought it and started expanding, I very much, um, then I could do anything I wanted to do, like buy those expensive condos when I could afford them and trick them out. I mean, these condos have custom furniture and have like they each have a custom uh comedy works skinned arcade with 200 games in them um you know one looks like comedy works space invaders and they're just it's just uh fun and they're silly so if somebody wants to sit at the dining room table which one of them is the dining room table one of those that that has two people that has a big piece of glass on it they can they can you know eat their grilled cheese sandwich and tomato soup and play and play video games. Fun. <laughs> have, have you, is, have you have any like funny stories like, in the condos from like your staff? Like, have you heard anything like, I don't know, like some real, yeah. What, what's, what's, has there been some very funny experiences in the condos? Oh, I'm sure there's experiences I'll never hear about. And I probably oh. don't <laughs> kind of, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But, um, but um, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm sure I, nothing comes to mind at the moment, the freshest, <laughs> come to mind. but you know, other than of course, when you've got Ali Wong coming and, and uh, the heat is out in one of them, I'm like, she's going to be here in 24 hours. We better figure this out. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, the condos are a big part of it and, and just treating them with, with respect and with kindness and happy to be there. You know, my grandmothers and my mother are from the South, which means, you know, Southern hospitality. 
um, in this country, you know, that that's sweet little women bringing you over banana bread. If you just moved in next door and if somebody passes, you take a chicken pot pie. And if you hear somebody is sick, you bring them chicken soup. And mm. that is that those are the women that raised me and that I, you know, was modeled after that I modeled myself after, shall we say. And and that spills over, you know, I don't I don't pick up the phone and go comedy works. I, I don't pick up the phone and go comedy works. This is Wendy. Can I help you? I pick up the phone and go comedy works. This is Wendy. Can I help you? You know, there's a difference. And um, and that's how I talk to, you know, our customers. And certainly that's how we treat our comics and our customers. It's all personal. It's, it's personal. And we're, they're here to have a good time. So, and they're coming to us to have a good time. So if we answer the phone, comedy works, can I help you? Comedy works or whatever, right? That's, do, I don't want to go there and have a good time. I want them to be welcome and friendly. Like I've got a glass of Southern sweet iced tea waiting for them on that phone. You know, I want them to be excited about coming and I want our comedians to feel like they are coming home. And that's what I feel like we've developed over the years. You know, I've watched these kids grow up um, George Lopez back to that NBC special. Um, his daughter is in this, excuse me, NBC series. He's, his daughter is in this show with him. I remember when she was born and I remember, you know, the stories here and there about, you know, when she was in junior high, when she was in high school and, you know, when they're, when he and his wife divorced and the struggles, those things, I mean, we kind of, it's, I don't, I don't want to say that we, we um, that I'm, we kind of grew up together, I would say, in this business. We shared our lives and, and now and again. You know what I mean? When we would see each other every year or six months, we would catch up, all of us. And those are lifelong friends. And and how do you greet your friends when they show up, you know? When they come back to your house. With a hug, uh, some weed, uh and... <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't warmth. Do that part. I don't because the law says although it's legal, I have a liquor license, so that's different. But absolutely, with warmth. That's right, with warmth. No, it's uh, <clears throat> comedy is yeah. I mean, for anyone that's at one of the things that you mentioned, like George Lopez. I, I still have a thing where if I see a big comic, there's a bit of me, which I'm not always aware of, is that you've become, and you're not aware of it, but you you see them as a different pers person. You don't see them as, who, you know, they're just a regular person that's worked right. their butt off and they've made it. But you in your head, like, for me, I see them as some sort of Jon Snow or some sort of like something different. They don't, I don't, I don't even though I'm aware that they're human, I still see them as being some other thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see that. And, and it's funny that the ones that I maybe didn't kind of grow up with in this business, you know, shall we say, that I think I have a little bit more of that, you know, that I that a little bit more starstruck myself. Um, but um, the ones that I did grow up with, I mean, I'm just as um, 
starstruck, I suppose, on one hand, but I'm so proud of them, you know, too, because you knew when they, you know, you knew how they struggled and how, and how, um, how amazing it is that they made it and how hard that they worked and how much they deserve it, you know? Yeah. There's nothing better than seeing someone you, you love work their butt off to get work what they want. That's right. But what about people you hate? No, I'm joking. <laughs> there are so few, I tell you, that I ever had any kind of bad experiences. I'll tell you this one that, that was very young in my career, and he, he had done some Tonight shows at that point and whatever, and, and this was when we still had I, – I was a very young manager, so we, we had them in, like, flop house, those flop house. It was a hotel, I guess. And there was a car that they also had at their disposal, and the car was – um, it had broken down and it had to go to the shop and he just let me have it, let me have it. It was just like, dude, like I have anything to do with the mechanics of a car. We picked it up and got you to where you needed to go and got it to the shop. And yes, it's unfortunate, but, and I'll, 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 you know, that's, that's one that does come back a lot. And I, you know, at the time, again, I was a very young manager and my boss, because now I'd started booking and my boss told me that I needed to rebook him, but I didn't. I wasn't, well, I would never put my managers through somebody like that. And I, and, and, and now it's much older and I can see the perspective, but I respected myself enough to go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because it wasn't just that, that thing. He was just now an ass to me the rest of the week because apparently, you know, he felt like, I had some sort of control over that. I don't know. Anyway. People are people. I, 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 one of the things that I find with comics as a whole, with the 36 years experience, what's, what do you notice about comics that they're not like aware of? Like what, what like from comics that are starting, comics that are sort of, in the middle and comics that are sort of in George Lopez's sort of shoes. What's the difference? What would you say is things that are tell, tell tells on like where someone's at in comedy or like what, what, like what kind of comedian they're going to be? Like, is there things that you notice in those that make it big and those that, uh, that don't, that aren't quite there yet? Well, if we're talking about the people that are doing open mics and that are in the new talent realm, I think that I have that those that are just jerks, honestly, and um, treat other comics, everybody, you know, with um, disrespect. You never, I never kind of see those people move on because they probably. Who knows why? But I just kind of don't see those people move on. And nobody says that you need to kiss one another's behind. No, I, I'm not in any way suggesting that. But I, I just think that basic kindness and respect is just the 101 of all of this, right? In anything that we do. And if you want to make it in comedy as a stand-up or you want to be a refrigerator salesperson, you know, why would you be a jerk? And if you're a jerk you might want to start checking your own darn self. But anyway, and then I see um, different people that um, some people just have, some people just have a way of, of working their, of working the business, you know, 
they have friends that are in higher places that, um, that take them along. And there are some that, that don't do as much of that. I feel like, you know, like if you, how do I, I remember Tony Robbins, you know who Tony Robbins is, the, the self-help guru. Well, years ago, again, when I was young, I, I used to um, read his books and listen to him. I was on a plane with him once and I was on a ski slope with him once. He was taking a snowboard lesson. Um, and I was like, oh my God, Tony Robbins, as I go down the slope. Um, but uh, I remember him saying, surround yourself with people who are doing what you want to do and are doing it the way that you want to do it. You don't have to recreate the wheel. And um, I think that that many comics have done that very thing. And then there's some that haven't figured that out. That, um, you know, you're, there's always going to be that, that first grade, the second grade, the third grade, the fourth, right, of comics and where, where everybody is in their career. And um, so while you're in first grade, be looking to those second graders and those third graders to see what it is that you can learn, you know, that you can learn from their mistakes. When we were, um, I don't know, several years ago, Rick Kern, a Denver comedian who'd been in the business at that point, about 35 years, and I got together and we did How Comedy Works, a podcast. We did it for a year. We did 50 episodes and we just, had conversations, organic conversations with a small outline to try to impart any kind of wisdom that we had about this business, particularly in Denver, but also outside of it, to impart any kind of wisdom, any mistakes that we've seen or that we've made or any kind of insight that we had, take it or leave it, but to try to give anybody just a step up just a step up, you know, and that was a way that I could communicate to my Denver community of new talent people. Cause it's like 500 people. Um, how could I do that? You know, not a year's worth of classes. <laughs> so, um, a podcast was a, a way to do that, but I feel like that's what happens when, you know, you're hanging out with other comics and you bring the other ones behind you up and you teach them and then other people bring you up. I feel like that's the beauty of this. And I think the ones that, that, that make it are the ones that know how to do that. And that just aren't jerks. Nobody wants to help out a jerk. No. <laughs> yeah, it's right. Well, you're, you're, you're talking to the biggest, most vicious person in comedy in the UK here. Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> a little bit of my wisdom on you. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but well, <clears throat> Denver, Denver is, an, is an area that I'd like to explore. I know that is an area with a sort of culture and it's got a bit of identity. What, how would you say, like, Denver has a different identity to like other comedy scenes. I know New York has the best food, has a lot of like no nonsense. Los Angeles is very stylish, lots of great food. San Francisco, all I know about San Francisco is charmed. Right. 
Well, those those places, particularly L.A. and, and New York, are very big comedy scenes, obviously, because uh, they're, they're on the coast. And that's where a lot of, you know, showbiz happens. Um, but Denver is, uh, you know, a little bit in the middle of the country. Yeah, it's a two hour, two hour, 10 minute flight to L.A. It's not too bad. Um, and we have a lot of bigger comics that live here. Not a lot, but we have a handful that that if, if I have an audition, I'll just go to L.A. I don't need to live there. I don't want to raise my kids there or whatever they think. Right. Um, you know, Colorado, I feel like has Midwest values of sorts. Um, the mountains are right here. I can be on the slopes in if I leave really early in the morning, um, like in an hour. Um, and the sun shines, which I know is difficult for you guys to comprehend, but more than 300 days a year. Yikes. Plus we were, um, plus we were the first, you know, to, to legalize marijuana and, and we are a pretty, at least Denver is a very liberal area. The, the state may be a little bit mixed bag, but so that's kind of who we are a little bit. It's also very dry. People think that it snows here all the time and things like that. No, no, it doesn't. Not in Denver. In um, It snows up in the mountains, um, but here it, there's not as much snow as you might think. Um, and then as far as the comedy scene, a hundred years ago when a young man named Adam Caton Holland um, asked me if I minded if he started an open mic somewhere. And I was like, ugh. Because we were the only scene in town, right? One comedy club at the time, and that was it. And I thought, and I, and I was thinking these things in my head. I never said them. I'm like, oh, gosh, what is that going to do? But I thought, harder and I said yeah I think you should I've only got one night a week that I can that I'm developing young talent so I think that's a great idea and other club owners and bookers across the country were like what are you doing why would you do such a thing and I just kind of repeated it I've only got so many nights and so many hours that I'm devoting to you know to bringing up these new widgets let's call them to this new young talent and I want to and and if somebody else it can be happening elsewhere that's a good thing and now I can't tell you how many open mics there are all over town and a lot of other different things and all that has done is just grow this community it's just it's so big I'm, I'm telling you there's at least 500 people working our new talent program right now. And we have 15 spots on Tuesday nights a week. And that is craziness. Plus I, um, you know, hire pro comics to help develop that night. Um, we lost Deacon Gray um, a handful of years ago um, who, who did it for 20 years, who was amazing. And he's very, He's a very relevant reason for our um, our famous new talent night and our comedy community. And I do absolutely 100% take responsibility for that happening in the beginning, for allowing those gates to open. Because I could have said, no, Adam, don't, no. And I would have just been a jerk and nixed him if he'd tried to or I don't know, whatever, you know. And... Um, it just opened up a thought process that was different that I was just a little scared of. Don't get me wrong. 
but has been nothing but a bountiful, a bountiful um, experience X amount of years down the road, whatever that was, 15, 20 years ago. Um, it just, like everything else, it just has continued to grow and, and exponentially, it feels like. 500 comedians. Whoa. That is yeah. something. People move here from other parts of the country to be part of this comedy community. And that's some of them that are already at the pro level that we would consider to be on our rotation and some that aren't quite there yet because this is a place where you can develop. I mean, I have young comics that I don't even pay that, that are not part of that um, for me that are making a living as comedians. My bar is pretty high, um, but that are living here in Denver that, that are putting together a living just doing comedy gigs. So, and they travel a little bit and stuff too, you know, but that's not a bad gig. No, it's, it's definitely it's, it, the thing about comedy is a lot of fun, whatever. It's it's better than doing something you hate, whatever it's the case is. Something you hate, yep. It's whatever the case is. And comedy nights, the thing about them, even if they go badly, they're, 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 there's something to talk about. There's stories and it's That's something right. you never forget. That's right. That's exactly right. I've had a few walkouts during my times putting on shows. I remember I was in the Edinburgh show and I think I did those two shows where I had like right at the start, I did 10 minutes and about 15 people walked out and then like about, you know, and I had five good shows. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, do you, do you feel, do you find that entertaining as well when it goes, it doesn't go according to plan, but then when it goes well, do you find the bits where it goes wrong? Oh, so entertaining just as much as when they go right no i find it painful because i feel <laughs> the, feel their pain and you see more of that you know in younger are artists not not in the george lopez level um but they, they'll tell you that they had a great show or that they had a you know a rough show or whatever but you know at that level when when you're looking at it you don't see that rough spot you don't see what they're talking about oftentimes but you know it's obviously more um evident in a in a younger artist but no my heart breaks you know i'm that mom whose toddler is out there you know exposing themselves you know and i want to save them but um uh so no i don't i don't find glee in that at all hurts my heart Oh, right. Well, if I if I do a spot in Comedy Works, if I bomb, will I get fifty fifty dollars? <laughs> I know. <No. laughs> yeah. It is. I but I I I enjoy it some when I do badly. I it's well, at the time it's the worst feeling in the world. But when I look back on it, I sometimes enjoy it when I do shit. Do you do you learn? Do you go? I see where I went there. Do you... Sometimes I'm able to figure out, but sometimes I haven't got a clue. So I I, I try and ask someone around, that, or I talk about someone that that's a much better comic than me about the situation. Right. Good idea. But yeah, definitely. There's sometimes I haven't got a clue for why it goes badly, or sometimes when it goes well as well, but oh well. One of those things.
what's how how do you so you um i looked on some articles before and like you used to manage 140 employees and a lot of comics how do you manage all of those people and all those personalities like 140 well i find sometimes find it hard to manage 10 or 20 people but how, how do you do 140 well i mean i mean that's about what we have now 150 or something and i think that i had pre-covid i had 153 paychecks i think but there were more people on the payroll that's a long story but but um so we i run between 150 200 employees between the two clubs um and i don't you know i'm not physically in the clubs every night anymore not even in one of them so um if i were up to par i would have three uh full-time managers in each club um i've only got so that's six i've run with five before pre-covid but i've got um four managers currently and then i mean understand that i have also got in my big south club that i've got a restaurant and i've got event space so that you can do your wedding your bar mitzvah your whatever now that's not to say comedy is my brand comedy is what has made my name and our name um what it is the the restaurant the event space is simply it was convenient to do it blah 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 so pre-COVID, I had about 25, I think, salaried managers all over my organization. Um, somebody that runs all of the concert promotions because we have two clubs, but we also do, you know, we're probably, I don't know, I'd say that we're on 80% of the comedy that comes to town. So at Live Nation, AEG, whatever, I don't know. We, we, are, we could be... Uh, a half partner, a quarter partner, a third partner, a marketing partner. We've got our fingers in a lot of that, right? Because we've been here for so long. And, um, and then the clubs themselves. So I have people, it's the managers that answer to me. Well, now everybody answers, it seems like, as we rebuild. But, you know, the managers answer to me. And then, you know, they have the people, the wait staff, the bar staff, um, the door staff, the box office people that answer to them, so to speak. Um, it's exhilarating, quite frankly. I think it's exhilarating to watch it because it's grown, you know. It was my first staff when, when I was a young manager. I had 11 people and uh, in that club. And now, you know, it's, um, it's a lot bigger than that. And I find it exhilarating. Do you find it exhilarating like a theme park ride or more like your Formula One driver or NASCAR driver? <laughs> a little bit of both. You know, like, like, like your analogy about the driver, that's kind of what the shows are like. And again, uh, being very ADD and, I, and not understanding that until I was literally, till like 10 years ago, I, when I was diagnosed, I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. But I look for that, um, that excitement to, you know what I mean? That's why I always, I liked the weekends more than the weekdays because it was two shows and they were always sold out. And, and I love that. I love that energy that it gives me 
um, it just, it fuels me, you know, it keeps me going. Cause I think if I had to, I don't know, and this is no disrespect to anybody else's job, but I think if I had to, you know, run a 10 key or do data entry or this talk to people doing the same thing every day, all day, anything like that, anything that was just the same darn thing hour after hour, I think I would just want to poke my eyeballs out. This keeps me, you know, even with all of those post-COVID rebuilding challenges, it's different all the time, every day. And that, and then what is kind of consistent is still very different. And it's those great shows at night and all that energy, all those people coming in and those great laughs and that fun time. And it's kind of indescribable. It's pretty, uh, I'm pretty lucky. What would you, would you describe that feeling as like eating a mac and cheese or like a Popeye's with chips? <laughs> uh, like, um, yeah, it could be, oh, like mac and cheese, maybe lobster mac and cheese. And what are just the most fattening, not good for you things? <laughs> All of together in one meal. Yeah, that might come close, maybe. Good cupcakes with good buttercream icing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I am in love with American food. And I'll tell you what, there's, there's nothing I love more than mac and cheese, Popeye's, or artichoke pizza or fantastic frozen yogurt. Oh yeah, that's good. That when I went over there, that 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 won me over. Woof. <laughs> Is your food getting better? I haven't been to the UK in a uh, bit. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, how do people so I could diet over here. I could lose a lot of weight because I don't like this food. So the food that is good here is the Indian food. Absolutely. Indian food is, I, I agree. The Chinese food is pretty decent. Thai food is really nice. Okay. Um, there are some good food, like the fish and chips is amazing, but you amazing. have to get ones that are very crunchy. Um, have you had a Sunday roast? No. So it's on a Sunday, but like Yorkshire pudding and that, like with the chicken and the... Uh, yeah, they've got so many different things. They've got the vegetable version, that, but Yorkshire uh, Sunday roast is vava vum. It is the, what's a good word? It is, the, it is the fantastic and scintillating mac and cheese. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm getting ready for, I'm having Christmas Eve dinner for 11 people and, and we're going to do a prime rib, which I'm not a big meat eater. Yeah, it's not my thing. But as I try to, as I've been trying to find that last like side that I want to put with it, I always see Yorkshire pudding coming up and I'm probably going to have to now, now I'm definitely going to have to look into that. Hard <laughs> so that's Should I put pudding with this? Yes, do it, do it. That, that's, that's the takeaway from the interview. If nothing else, okay. I'm giving you Yorkshire All pudding. Right. When we finish, I'm going to get on my phone and I'm going to start Googling Yorkshire pudding, the best Yorkshire pudding recipe. <laughs> yeah. Which which has better food? Is it Denver or is it from the down south? <laughs> well, <laughs> food is known to be a lot more um, not good for you and fattening and, you know, a lot of fried foods. Um, but uh, I think all that's changing, too. There's a lot of 
great fried food places that we flock to, you know, chicken and fried chicken and waffles in different places. But um, I don't know. I think food in general is just getting better and better because it's because I think people are looking at it to be creative. As it's an art form. They've been following our model. What do you want to bet? Uh, 50, 50 pounds. <laughs> I, I, I would love to see, have you had anyone on the comedy show eat fried chicken or, or, or fries on stage and then start telling jokes? I want to see no. that. No, that I can recall. I mean, um, they would, um, maybe eat. Yeah. I mean, I think most of them afterwards it seems whether they eat our bad bar food or you know we bring something else in for them or or whatever but i think most of them kind of eat after it seems or between shows i see them eat between shows of course the normal way but i i, I want to see that on stage i've not seen that yet i've i've I'd seen someone eat a sandwich i've seen someone piss in a bottle but i want to see someone eat fried chicken and chips on the stage in between their jokes that would be good yep you're right Yeah, I, I didn't expect the podcast to become all about food. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm hungry. And I was hungry when we started this, but I'm definitely <laughs> out to dinner tonight um, for, you know, holiday celebration. But um, uh, and we did we did the entire organization last week for holiday celebration, by the way, comics and employees, and everybody. Um, but uh, um, now I've got to eat something when we finish. Okay, I don't want to delay you from dinner. So, <laughs> who's uh, two little questions? What's the funniest thing that's happened to you, and who's someone that we should look out for? The funniest thing that's happened to me. There's been way too many things. Way too many things. Funniest thing. I don't know about the funniest thing, but I I have just booked a young man named. Um, well, I think Josh Johnson is somebody that we should look for um, out of the U.S. I've just booked this kid named Ralph Barbosa out of Texas, and he's like 25 or 26, I think. Um, you should look him up. He is. I think that kid's going to do it. I think that that kid has star power written all over him. Very funny. Um, and then there's another kid. I was just, oh, Isaiah Kelly um, is another one that is a new young booking for him doing, an, you know, midweek sort of stuff, not doing a weekend, not taking up that real estate. I think that kid might do it too. Um, so those are just a couple that are on the, you know, in my new world where I'm like, ooh, Wow. I want to get into his business now. You know, I want us to be friends so that when he's selling out arenas and I ever have COVID and we get in trouble again, he's going to come work for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know the funniest thing that's ever happened to me. I don't know. I, uh, during COVID our downtown club was closed for 17 months and the longer it was closed, the deeper the cleaning and painting and everything got right. And, uh, I was up above the box office in this place, this platform that I don't allow anybody else to go up. I say, nope, there's no need for anybody to ever go up there because you got to get a ladder and lean it to get up there at all. So there was my fancy behind. 
and I stepped off of a 10 and a half foot, that 10 and a half foot platform. Um, not funny, but certainly um, one of my more recent stories. I don't know. There's a lot of stories. Okay. How much do I have to pay to hear them? Well, it depends on, let me see. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've been hit a couple of times. I've been punched. Whoa. Um, yeah. Twice. Both times there were police officers there. Downtown, we used to hire um, off-duty police officers on the weekends. And both times they were wrestled to the ground quickly and they went promptly to jail. It's like, wow. Um, I don't know. There's been, there's so many great stories. There's so many great stories. If you if you were to give any sort of advice to any young comics that are listening now, what what advice would you give them in terms of business and comedy? Um, you need to develop your writing skills and you need to collaborate. Use one another, collaborate and, you know, sit in a writing thing and punch up one another's jokes. You're not an island, you're a peninsula. And you should stay attached to your peers and to another people. And in the business of stuff, know your worth. You know, without comedians, I sell expensive beer and cheese food. Because that's what it says on the side of boxes. You know, like when the, when the nacho cheese comes in, nacho cheese food. I'm expensive, alcohol, and, and food. That's all I am. This is what we do. You are what we do. That is what we are known for. And so know your worth, number one. Also, don't pump yourself up before you're... I want you to have good... I want young comics to have good self-esteem and know what they're doing. But, you know, don't, don't demand prices that you can't, you know, you can't get and whatnot. And I feel like it's important that once you do get representation that you do check in with them about, you know, how they speak to people. And is that, I mean, it's, you know, if, if you're a jerk and you want to be represented like that, then, then that's okay. But if that's not how you want to, don't just assume that they're going to do the right thing on your behalf because they don't. And they're your representative. They're representing you and your brand. And you are the reason that they have a job. And so make sure that they are representing you the way you want to be represented. Hmm. Is it, now this is getting a bit political and this is getting a bit, but one of the things, there's a YouTube channel called Critical Drinker. He's a drunk Scotsman and he, he ridicules a lot of bad films and praises a lot of good films. He, um, one of the things he does is he's made fun of Disney in a way. I don't want to mention it too much, like, but he says that what Disney have done, they've lost a lot of soul in what they do. And it's all about making a buck rather than being involved in the process and doing it with heart and passion and producing a good product. And one of the reasons yeah. why Top Gun was good is that it was just focused on producing a good film and putting a lot of good work in. Um, and that's, is that maybe perhaps one of the reasons why sometimes agents are not as good at, uh, cause trouble in comedy because they're not involved enough in comedy from the grassroots and in the art form and how creative it and they don't see people as people they see them as numbers and products like an accountant rather than what the hearts and guts yeah 
they 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 I don't I think many of them just aren't interested in the art form. And I'm a firm believer in do what you love and the money will follow. That is a, you know, that's a book. And and I and I believe you do the right thing by people and there's abundance for everyone. But I think you're right. And 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 I think too um when when public excuse me when when um businesses become publicly held and they have stockholders um that changes entirely it's all about profits it's 100 percent about profits and about the bottom line and lots of things fall by the wayside like treating people right like doing the right thing um I mean, I've said to a club owner around here uh, in this country, who's a buddy, like, dude, just give up a point or two and do the right thing. Um, I just I just think that I, I think that Top Gun is a great example that, that, you know, do it right for the sake of doing it right and, and making a great film and. And I think that the rewards that you reap are um, can be massive. And and again, so maybe you leave something on the table, a little bit on the table. How much do you need? I'm at that point where I say, how much money do I need? I grew up middle class. I have a lovely lifestyle. I live in a beautiful home that I built five years ago. Took a 1930s home, gutted it. There's not a thing that I did not do to it. It's gorgeous and I, and I drive cars and I have my health and, and I have these beautiful clubs that I go to with these great people that want to be there. And, and that's abundance to me. You know, this is the end of the year. We do lots of end of year bonuses. And my philosophy is, look, if I have to pay taxes, you have to pay taxes. I, I like to say that to them. And I mean, like with Christmas bonuses and whatnot, because how much money can I spend? I don't know. I guess I could buy boats and different things. I don't want a boat. I don't, I have what I want, what I need. And I feel that um, for some people, it's never enough, you know? Gets a lot of us in trouble, I think. What's at what, what point do you what 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 do you mean by some of it's not enough? You're saying that people are too greedy. Yeah, and I think that that's what it is about agents. I mean, you would think that coming back from COVID, that they would have just an inch of empathy, and not trying to be gouging every every act for, excuse me, every club for every cent that they have. I'll never forget this when it was back, probably in May, it was a comic that had worked for me once and it's been between 15 and 20 years ago, didn't sell any tickets back then. Not at that point in May, not doing a lot, was getting ready for a special and they wanted $50,000 guarantee versus like 90% of the door. And I don't do 90% of the door um, on week. Won't do it. And, uh, and I won't do a lot of percentages on the weekends. And I'm like, well, what's the difference between a $50,000 guarantee? Like if, it, if the, if the gross is at that point, it's only going to get them to whatever 54. What, what's the point? They don't care. They don't care. 
and that's handed down from their greedy boss. And so they just go out there like the little soldiers that they are. And, and I appreciate that they've got a job to do, but somebody needs to stop and think, look, I'm being a jerk. This isn't sustainable. I put these clubs out of business and I can't, and I, where do my, where do my comics work out? We want good clubs. I don't need, I don't need to have, um, I don't need to make um, all of the door. When they're bringing in all these people, I understand, but I can't give them a hundred percent and 90% and 85%. I mean, some of my, it's not, a, it's not an exaggeration to say that on the weekends, like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday for five shows, my labor in one, in the, in the big club is like eight grand. And they want to leave me with like 10 grand um, at the, uh, you know, at the end of the weekend or something. And sometimes they don't even want to do that. They don't want to leave me with anything. So I just pass. And guess what happens 90% of the time? They come back. They come back because their act wants that club, wants my club. I just booked, um, we just announced Sarah Silverman, who's coming in Whoa. the downtown club um, in the middle of, of January. So I don't know, I booked this two months ago, six weeks ago, we, we confirmed it, I don't remember. And, and they didn't tell me or I didn't pay attention to the fact that and I was told by my marketing department last week, Wendy, this tour, we, we kick off the tour and everything else is Live Nation and they're all theaters. And, and there's a big shout out to us about being the, the first date and the only club on the entire tour. And I go, oh, okay, that's cool. Because we get that kind of attention. We get that kind of, um, uh, how do I say that? We get that kind of respect. And comics love us. And so they make sure that they put in those kinds of, um, you know, bids for us and or the heads of the department. And I think that's where that one came from. That head of that department knows, they know how they're going to be treated. They know if they come to our, our club, this is not uncle fuckers chuckle hut and they're not going to be treated like they're just part of the bar sales, you know, and the cheese food sales, right? They know that they're treated with respect to, and then to be the stars that they are. Anyway, I could go on about this business for 12, 15 days, and I would still only get a portion of it. In. <laughs> <laughs> so what, if, what is the number one thing in comedy that um, audiences should consider from the other side? That they should consider? I don't know if they, I don't know what they should consider. I think that they should just be there, you know, to have a good time, whether they're watching things. I'm not as, I don't like to watch it as much, you know, some well-produced specials are good too, but mm, I don't like to watch videos and stuff so much. I think because I had to watch so many in my younger days, but I like it live. I love the live experience, you know? I think that you can take a music, a genre of music that you don't like so much, but when you see it live, you have this appreciation for it. So I do believe people shouldn't just sit in their, their recliners and go, oh, well, I saw this Netflix special and I saw so-and-so on Showtime and 
go see it live. It's all of that and a bag of chips. It is live like you'll, because as we know in that live experience, you know this, you're never going to get that back. That very interaction is never going to happen again. And um, I hope that everybody does get out and see things live. Don't just see them um, on your TV at home. Hmm. That's a big, don't you think? That's what you and I do. No, no, no. I 100% agree with it. It's, 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 it's so many times I hear, but if they hear, if I tell them about a great comic or admire, um, they, they, they would, you know, they would say, oh, they're, they're not funny because they're not on TV or they're not famous. And that it's not, you know, if they went to watch more comedy shows, they'll see it's not about that. There's a lot of great comics that aren't quite there on TV yet. Absolutely. And how do you think they get on TV? And there are, when you think about it, right? When you think about how many are on TV in a special and or whatever, like compared to how many comics are out there working and making a living at this, it's the tiniest percentage. And it may not always represent, you know, the very finest because that's very subjective, but there are so many great comics out there. So go see who you love and you've seen on TV live and you'll be fascinated about who have however many other comics are going to be on that show or that you're going to see coming up that you would also fall in love with okay so that's what you come on guys come to watch our shows watch live comedy and support it because the people that you're seeing now that you're not paying you know a, a huge ticket price for are the people that you are going to see on tv and or whatever you know, in a year or two. And those are the people that you are going to be paying big ticket prices for. So watch them on their way up and you can say, Hey, I saw them when I saw them when exactly you get to say that you saw Marvin before his big thing. <laughs> you saw Marvin now, cause he's going to be big, big. That's I think. Happened. Now for anyone that's listening and they want to find out about comedy works or any projects you're involved in, what is the best way to get in contact? Comedyworks.com. And, uh, that's our website and, uh, you can reach out question at comedyworks.com. We'll answer any question that you get. It used to come to me directly, but now I've got somebody else doing that one, but it'll come to me if you want to reach out to me too comedyworks.com i'll actually and wendy at comedyworks.com w-e-n-d-e at comedyworks.com if you want to email me directly but um our calendars there our concerts are on there um you know sarah silverman sold out in about i don't know a second or two but tony hinchcliffe and um beth stelling and let's see christopher titus Josh Blue, that's just some of some of January. Michael Rappaport, Ari Shafir, Jackie Cation. Oh, she's another one to watch. Oh. Jay Moore, um, Pete Holmes. So many comics coming up. Joe Dombrowski, Cameron Esposito, Russell Peters. That one's not confirmed. That boy. Um, so many great comics coming to, to Comedy Works. And so when you're in Denver, all you listeners... You reach out and you look at that schedule. You call me. I'll get you good seats. Make sure you do that and, and drop my name in it. 
Marvin and Marvin is coming to Denver too. You might just see him too. Right. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you follow Wendy. You go to Comedy Works. Make sure you give this episode a five-star view on Amazon or iTunes. Share it. Subscribe. Uh, and and give it. And if you give it five star, give it another five star. But if you didn't like it, keep it a secret to yourself. That's right. Keep your naughty comments to yourself. Except if it gets to any YouTube video viral, just keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, thank you very much for listening, guys. And I'll see you at the next episode.